So today we're going to talk about um, remembering. And um, just to just to kind of set the context, we're going to talk about more than just remembering what God has done. We're going to talk about remembering who we are. And that's already been a predominant theme in today's message. It's, it's, we've seen that in worship, and, uh, and I think there is something that God wants us to do. So I just want you to kind of, I just want to set that context. God is, is asking us to remember who we are in Him. And before I get started, I'd like to read some scripture and, uh, about the story of the prophet Elijah. This is probably a, a story or the context of the story I've, I've preached on more than almost any other story. And I don't know why it just keeps coming back every time there's a message that the Lord wants to use me to speak to the church. And um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, read some scripture and then um, I'm going to move into the rest of the, the, some of the slides that I want to present. Because maybe you didn't know this, but today is the financial report. That's actually why I'm here is to give you a financial report for the church. And, um, and uh, so that's exciting, isn't it? Woo-hoo. Anyway, <laughs> tough crowd. All right. So I'm going to sow some seeds first so that when we get through the financial report, we'll be able to pick back up with what this story is all about uh, in 1 Kings chapter 19. So you can read along with me. Oh. <laughs> now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Oh, before I get started, let me just set the context here. So many of you are familiar with this story, but for those of you who may not be, Elijah was this great prophet in Israel, and he was called to turn the hearts back of the people of Israel back to the real true God, to to Yahweh, and us as a church. Okay, and so then, if you look at the ending balance, this is how this breaks down into funds. And by the way, I should have said this at the beginning. Thank you, Pastor Rachel, for pulling this together. She pulls all this, she does all the books, and she pulls all of the, these slides together for me. So this is not something that I have to create. So, yes. And, and I say that because every time I look at these numbers, I'm like, who, who amongst you is like me who's like adding it up and making sure it balances to the penny? So, um, and she does. So thank God for that. And I just want to draw your attention every year I draw this um, out that our bank balance is different than our general fund. So at the end of the year, we have a bank balance of so much money. And by the way, that's, that's constantly in flux from week to week. So this is how it was as of December 31st, 2018. And, uh, but that's different than the general fund. This is the money that's used for the operations and for the day-to-day expenses of the church. goes into the general fund. And then you can see some uh, different other funds where there's been designations um, as well. So, before I move on, any questions about, and you're allowed to ask questions, any questions about the finances of the church or about anything that you saw in any of these slides? Okay, so the vision fund, um, uh, the question is, what is the vision fund? So the vision fund, a lot of times, we will put an extra basket in the middle here, um, and we will say, give into the vision of the church. Um, it sprang out of about seven, eight years ago, and, and years before that, we used to have what was called the mortgage fund basket, that if you ever wanted to give to pay off the mortgage, you could give to this extra basket, and so the ties and offerings were over here, 
and there was another basket to talk about um, mortgage, paying the mortgage. Well, guess what? The mortgage got paid off, praise God. And so then we said, God, what are you saying? Well, he said, well, keep giving an opportunity for people to sow, not just to, to pay off what happened in the past, but to sow into what God's doing in the future. And so that's sow into the future vision of the, uh, of the church. So that is uh, what the vision fund is. And then, you know, we have this benevolence basket that's up here all the time as well. Good question. Anyone else? All right, very good. All right, so hang in there. There's, uh, there's one more slide that I want to show you. And so I already showed you these giving trends. And by the way, I was initially reluctant to possibly show you this slide, um, lest you respond like I did when I first took a, took a look at it. Um, but then I thought, again, what the heck? I don't have time anymore. Let's be fully transparent. Let's actually talk about this. And so what I wanted to do is I actually wanted to look at, let's go all the way back. Go back as, as far as the records, at least, that I had on my laptop. Let's go back 17 years and let's look at the income um, that we've been um, generating as a church over the last 17 years. And you can see that, amazingly, there's been some ups and downs, um, some significant ups and some significant downs. And the only thing I wanted to draw your attention to is we're about at the place we were about 10 years ago in terms of our giving this past year. Okay. So let me ask this question. What does this slide tell you about us as a church? Anyone want to answer that? Well, I will... I will tell you what I think it tells us as a church. I believe um, that it tells us that on the surface, our, given, our giving has fallen quite a bit in the past three years. It's hard to argue with that. Um, and it's back to where we were about 10 years ago. But let me also ask you this other question. What does it tell us about the church's health or the church's future? And I submit to you two things, similar to what I said last year, I believe that we're still in a drought period, number one, and God is still trying to get our attention, right? Because there's, there's good reasons for droughts. And, um, and even though, the one thing I want to make clear, even though we still are in a financial drought, I want to be clear what this slide is not telling us. This slide does not define us as a church. And um, in other words, it's tempting to think that we're going backwards. It's tempting to, to think that there's something wrong with us. And I'm telling you, I declare it, I prophesy it, that nothing can be farther than the truth. And um, um, this slide is not the reality of how God sees us. Um, and it's important to line up with his truth, not the lies that may bubble up as a result of the trend line that we see on this particular slide. And so I wanted you to look at this. I wanted you to feel this just like I did. And then... I wanted us to recognize, again, we must not let our circumstances define who we are and to define us as a church. And I want to use an analogy um, that we sometimes, um, all of us are probably familiar with, and that is the bathroom scale, <clears throat> right? So let me ask you this. What can a bathroom scale tell us about ourselves? we weigh. 
That is correct. What else can it tell us? <laughs> the truth about how much we weigh. Right? <laughs> right. It also tells us what we don't weigh, right? All right. Um, so anyway, that's, that's the point I want to, to get at, is that a bathroom scale can tell us our weight, but it cannot tell us who we are. It can't tell us how we should feel about ourselves. We are more than our weight, yet some people uh, let a little machine define what they believe about themselves or what mood they're going to be in that particular day. All right? And I believe that the same thing with that financial slide, there's the same danger, there's that same opportunity for that financial slide to actually lie to us. Say things like, you'll never make it. And by the way, bathroom scales sometimes say this to us. <laughs> you might as well give up, right? And I'm telling you, the financial slide and the bathroom scales say these things. Um, there's something wrong with you, right? God is disappointed in you. But I'm here to tell you that all of those are lies. Every single one of those are lies. You can't be, now listen, I'm not, we're not putting our head in the ground and saying that that's not our weight. <laughs> the finances are the finances. It's telling us it is what it is. It's reality. We need to see reality for what it is. But it will never define who we are and what God's called us to do as a church. And I want to be very clear about that. And we need to disengage the lies um, of the enemy. Uh, in that regard. Amen? Everyone agree with that? So what I want to do real quickly, because I want to get to the, this, this who thing that God wants to speak over us, this identity, um, I want to talk about how last year we talked about the benefits of a drought. And I'm going to fly through this. If, there's, if you're taking notes, um, there's some scripture references here. But I'm going to go through this really quick. And what we said last year, and I think I preached on this um, in the summer, there's three reasons for a drought that I can see in the Bible predominantly, three major categories. One um, is, is because of judgment, where God is actually judging us and he's disciplining us. And by the way, I went into when God judges us, it's always to bring us back into relationship, right? He's judging the sin and he is, uh, it's his mercy uh, that uh, dries things up many times to bring us back to him. Um, so judgment. Um, the second is character testing. You can't get around this for those of us who've been through suffering, um, there are some times you just don't understand. There's bad things happen to good people, and you say, what is going on? And a lot of times it has everything to do around character testing and, and growth that God's trying to do on the inside of us. And many of you, I can look around this room and see many of you are, are uh, experiencing that or have experienced that. And then the third reason, and this is kind of where we camped uh, uh, on last year, was we talked about how the Bible... Uh, so many times talks about how droughts signal change and catalyze a transition. And we went into the story of Elijah. And again, I'm not going to go through all of that, but God used the drought um, in Israel to literally catalyze an entire transition, an entire change in leadership, not only in Israel, but in some of the nations around them as well. And, and so our conclusion was last year was that God is allowing this drought to happen um, because he's signaling change and catalyzing a transition in the church. And I, I want to keep coming back to this, that the church is made up of individuals and family units, right? And so this is, it, when I'm, I'm speaking kind of corporately, but 
it, it applies to each of us because we are a collection of, of all of us together. So there's something that God is trying to, to do in terms of signaling change and catalyzing a transition. And it's, it's definitely happening corporate, corporately, but let's pay attention to where it's happening individually too um, in each of us. And then we talked about the benefits of a drought. Oh my gosh, there's so many benefits to droughts. <clears throat> Number one, droughts help to get our attention. They help us to seek the Lord and ask questions we wouldn't normally ask. Droughts help us to make decisions we wouldn't otherwise make to get us out of our routine and comfort zone. Droughts enable change because the pain of staying where we are is greater than the pain of change a change we wouldn't have necessarily seen or embraced without the drought. And if you remember last year when we were going through this, I mean, we were just, we, we ended up thanking God for the drought. I mean, we are praising God for the drought for all of these, these benefits that we are receiving. And I want to be really clear here. I am not spinning this. This is not spin. This is not the, the Rick Newton CLF spin zone. All right? This is reality. This is the real truth, I believe, of what God is doing. So I'm not just trying to paint a positive picture about something that's negative. We're, I'm, we're trying to discern what is God saying? What is God doing in our midst here? And, um, and so there's uh, more benefits, right? Droughts may signal or catalyze a change in position or a new level of authority. Lots of different examples there. Um, droughts help resolve issues that have been undealt with for years. We talked about Joseph and his brothers. I mean, there was just this festering relational break, relational issues that God used a drought to help reconcile. And um, we talked about droughts, how they strengthen relationships and knit people together in a way they wouldn't otherwise be brought together or knit together. And again, these are all positive outcomes of our current financial drought and our individual and family droughts. And again, just from some conclusions from what we can see about the reality of the financial report is we are in transition. And how many of you know we are in transition? Um, God is doing a really cool thing and allowing uh, Pastor Craig and Pastor Wendy to you know, have that period you know, in the track meet when you're handing over the baton, there's that time, there's that period where you're running together and handing it off. Well, that's God in his mercy and his grace is allowing that to be a really long period and a really long um, uh, transition to enable that baton to be passed well so that it will not be dropped. And, uh, and that's what's happening in our midst, that we are in transition. And I believe that the other thing that God's doing, it's like, wow, okay, come on, let's get on with it, right? Let, let's, let's stop the drought, right? The transition's happening. But the other thing that God wants to do, again, the drought's continuing, it's even worse maybe, he, it means roots have to go even deeper. God's doing something even deeper in us. And I believe that the work that he's doing deeper in us is, is the work of identity. And so I want to touch um, on this uh, because I believe that droughts help reveal, help, it, God uses them to reveal wrong mindsets um, that we have about him and about ourselves. Um, it catalyzes not just a change in circumstance, but a change of heart and identity. And so again, I want to explore this nugget. I want to explore the connection between provision, vision, and identity. Because I believe God is trying to do a work of identity, this identity work in us, more so um, than even provision. Okay? So let me talk, you, you've all heard of this 
cute little phrase, right? Where there is vision, there is provision. How many, how many have heard of that phrase before, right? Where there is vision, there will be provision. And um, I believe this phrase 100%. Um, and so if, we've, if there's provision, right, that must mean that there's vision. And when I'm talking about provision, I'm not just talking about finances now. Let's broaden provision. How about health as a provision? How about relationships as a provision? How about um, knowing God's plan for your life or, or the timing of God for certain things? All of these things are, are, I mean, and this is just the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot of provision that God provides for us. But if we're experiencing a drought in that provision, what's that mean based on this phrase? If, if we don't have provision, what's that mean? There's no vision, right? Um, and I, sorry, Joe, I didn't bring you in on some of these uh, graphics, but to see I have to deal with this. But um, so anyway, so the point that, I, that I'm trying to make is it's not just about the provision, that there's, there's also an... There's a transition going on, but there's a transition in vision, right? So we've embraced, we've run with Pastor Craig, Pastor Wendy's vision for so long, and now there's this handoff to the next generation. And so we are in a little bit of a, okay, what's that going to look like going forward? It's probably going to have some elements of the past, but what's that look like going into the future? And so we are also in this transition. And so I don't, I don't believe that... Um, I think it's being formalized. There's a lot of things happening that have happened in the, in the last year in terms of helping to move this forward that the, the church is probably unaware of. And it's going to be forthcoming. I think Pastor Johnny's even going to be speaking a lot on the, con, the, the, the topic of identity. Um, but we are in transition, even in terms of vision. And I also believe that if, if we don't have, if we're in transition of, of vision, we're also in transition of identity. And... Um, and I really believe that, uh, that what God wants to do is a work of identity in us. Because a lot of times, it's not understanding who we are that gives us a, a misunderstanding or a lack of vision. So a lot of times, you know, because you know, I'm a consultant and I do strategic planning for companies and things. And so it's easy to, to just say, okay, this is what we're going to go do, Right. But if you're trying to go do something that's not in alignment with who you are, what's going to happen? You know, if, if your vision as a rhinoceros, as an example, is to fly, how, how far is that vision going to go? Right? You know, like <laughs> quarter inch, you know, maybe. It's just not going to go. So you can have all the vision in the world, but it has to be aligned with who you are. It has to be aligned with your identity, with your design, your God-given design. And I really believe that the Lord is doing that in our midst. And, uh, and so the only thing I want to connect here is I believe the deeper work that he's doing us is in this area of, of identity and that God is endeavoring to give us new wineskins before he pours new wine, even uh, uh, new vision into us. Um, so what my point that I'm trying to make here is yes, where there is vision, there is provision, but where there is identity and understanding of your design and who you are, there's also vision that comes. And, you know, this whole concept of identity is something that is just blowing me away. Even when you look in Scripture, anyone who's ever done something great for God has had identity bequeathed upon them by the Father. So as an example, Gideon. What Gideon's hiding from an army, and what happens? The angel of the Lord comes and says, Hail, mighty warrior. 
he declares an identity that's exact opposite in the circumstances that he found himself in. <laughs> and guess what? As Gideon started to embrace that identity, first tearing down an altar or idol of his father, and then as he moves into battle against over 100,000 Midianites with only 300 men, he actually becomes that which God, that identity that God bequeathed on him. So that's an example. Another example might be, uh, how about Jesus? Before Jesus started his ministry, what happened? Baptized, the father said, thou art my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He bequeathed the very identity that, uh, that he was going to walk in. Everything that he did was out of sonship, was out of relationship with the father. He said, I only do the things I, I see the father doing. Uh, I, only, uh, I only see the things I, you know, I only hear the things or speak the things I hear the Father um, speaking. And so Gideon is, is uh, and Jesus, they're just tremendous examples of how when you get clear on identity, that vision um, starts coming and then the provision starts happening because now you're going to need the provision to actually accomplish the things that God has called you to do. That's the, that's the reason for provision, by the way. It's not so that we can stack things up and count them every week. It's to put them into use. And it's to actually fulfill the calling and destiny of God that he has for you. That's what provision is for. And so the, the, but that provision, God will not give you that provision because you will probably squander it if you don't have vision and don't really understand and that vision isn't coming out of who you are. Does that make sense to everyone? All right. So I believe that God wants to reaffirm our identity. Sometimes it's not even just about a transition of identity. Sometimes it's about reaffirming um, who we are. And that starts with remembering. So I'm going to go back to the story of Elijah, and I'm going to draw this out a little bit more. <clears throat> so um, again, 1 Kings chapter 19, starting with verse 9. Then he came there to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah. And I like to imagine, so I'm going to take a little bit of license here. I like to imagine that the Lord was emphasizing the word here. What are you doing here? What are you doing here, like in this cave, Elijah? And Elijah says, you have no idea, Lord. <laughs> Look what I've been doing. I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And I really believe that there's a lot of wisdom in this here question. Um, and I believe if we can apply it to us, we know what are we doing here? So I'm going to ask the question, let's talk about our finances Let's talk about God's provision for just a second. What are we doing here? What are we doing here, Covenant Life Fellowship? Yes, we've been in a drought, but if you remember, we preached an end to that drought back in the last, last summer. So why are we still here in a drought period? And I would make the case that we don't have to be here. What are we doing here? What are we doing here, Covenant Life Fellowship? What would we say if God asked us that question? Well, God, you have no idea what we've been doing over the last 20, 30 years. We've modeled saying yes 
to God's invitation. If you've never heard Pastor Craig's story about how God spoke to him to come to the city of Washington, um, ask him about it someday. But he has modeled, that has been a model of the yes to God's invitation to what he wants to do in and through us. That's what we've been up to. We've cast down rebellion and control and embraced a biblical uh, authority structure um, and God's chosen leaders. And I could tell you stories about the hell we went through to remove old um, religious structures of authority and actually brought in what we believe is God's, the biblical um, authority structure. We've cast down the lie about uh, in the, the oppression of women and embraced women in ministry and leadership. I mean, talk about a war, especially in this area. And, uh, and again, if you have issues with that, come see me because I have some teaching for you. Um, and we've cast down religion and embraced moving by the Spirit, especially in our services, in our ministry times. This is all about the presence of God. We've said we want the presence of God more than we want anything institutional. We want to meet with God. We want to experience God. That's our life. That's our breath. That's, our, that's everything to us. And we've rejected just the standard, let's punch the clock. Let's get in here, put in our time, and then get out and beat the crowd at, at Olive Garden. We've pioneered Davidic worship, fivefold ministry, uh, as uh, referenced in Ephesians 4, uh, the prophetic ministry, and, uh, and this concept of that it's not about us, it's about the city church. It's about churches coming together um, to help transform a community. We've pioneered spiritual warfare, healing ministries, and deliverance that aren't always either recognized or embraced. Um, We've cast down an escapist mentality, embraced co-laboring with Christ to bring heaven to earth. You know, there's so many religions, <laughs> denominations that emphasize, you know, getting people off the boat and, and up to heaven. And do, do you know Jesus' um, perspective is the exact opposite? He is desiring, he is longing to see heaven come to earth, even so, even so much so that he, he taught us to pray that. Would you please pray this? Because this is my will. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so while so many people are like, oh, let's get up. I can't wait to get to heaven. He's saying, is there anybody who wants to be a conduit to bring heaven to earth? And, um, and so casting down that escapist mentality has been something that Pastor Craig has been gifted with and has helped us with. Out of that has come pioneering the seven mountain mandate, um, equipping the saints to engage the culture, um, so that we can be the church and do the ministry outside the four walls of the church. We pioneered that in this area. I'm not saying we pioneered it church, uh, worldwide, but we pioneered, pioneered these things um, in our area. And we pioneered raising up leaders. This is interesting. Leadership from within the church and a multi-generational church that runs together, that doesn't wait for, okay, well, all of us old people will die off eventually and then you know, hopefully someone will take over right at the last minute. That's not how we're doing this. We're a multi-generational church running together. And, and uh, as Pastor Craig has uh, talked to the elders, we have such a unique opportunity to run alongside both the, the generation that's done all these things, by the way, remember, that's done a lot of plowing and a lot of pioneering um, in this area um, to run alongside so that they can go further than we ever did. So my point is, we fought and won some hard-fought battles. 
But maybe like Elijah, things didn't turn out like we thought they would. So we're a little discouraged, right? We thought the drought would be over by now. Think about this. Elijah had to have thought with all that God did with that showdown with the prophets of Baal, that that would catalyze a nationwide revival, starting with the leader, Ahab. And he got the exact opposite reaction from, from Ahab and from Jezebel. So again, maybe we, we thought things God had promised would happen sooner, that there'd be more unity in the church of Washington, that a revival would have broken out as the Lord has promised us over and over again, that more people would be streaming to church or we'd have more impact in the community, or that the, the many prophetic words about our church growth, about youth, about multiple services, about new building projects would already have been fulfilled by now. <clears throat> so, where are all the fireworks? What are we doing here, Covenant Life Fellowship? <clears throat> and I believe that the Lord answers that kind of uh, mentality, and he says, Go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord was passing by, and a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a, fi after the fire, a sound of a gentle, blowing wind. I absolutely love that. God was not in the wind. He was not in the earthquake. He was not in the fire. I like to say he was not in the fireworks. He was not in the spectacular. It reminds me of the scripture, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. <clears throat> and then God asked the same question a second time. <laughs> it's amazing. And I believe, I like to imagine, he didn't say, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now he says, what are you? Emphasizing you. What are you doing here? And then I can hear him say, Elijah. <laughs> Elijah. Johnny, I'm sure, knows what that name means. <clears throat> what are you doing here, Elijah? This isn't who I called you to be. And he says, so he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And again, Elijah gives the same answer. And I like to think that Elijah gave the answer a little bit differently, but we're not going to go into that. But I really believe that what God was trying to emphasize was that he was trying to emphasize Elijah's identity. What are you doing, Elijah? Johnny, what's Elijah mean? I should have told you, I should have warned you in advance that I was going to ask you that question. It means, so E-L means God, and Ja, or Shua, it's from the root Shua, is around uh, the the. Israeli, or the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh. Yahweh, Yahweh. As a matter of fact, the, the, um, think about it. The, um, and I never tied this together until last night. The, when they, they weren't allowed to pronounce the word, the, the name Yahweh, but, but they believe that, the Hebrew scholars believe it was pronounced Yahweh. It was about breath. Kind of like a gentle blowing wind. Yahweh. 
And so Elijah's name means, means Yahweh is God. What was he doing with the prophets of Baal? He was proving to them that was his calling. His very name meant the very thing that he was to do, which was to draw people back to their, draw their hearts back to the true and living God and to say, Yahweh is God. Not Baal, not this, not that. It's Yahweh is God. <clears throat> and so now he's saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah, is this, what you, is this who you are? Is, are you supposed to be someone who is shrinking back from the call of God, running away from the battle, to isolate yourself, to wallow in self-pity, to run away and, uh, from the fight and to hide in a cave? Is that who you are, Elijah? And I believe the Lord is asking us that same thing. I believe the Lord's asking us not just what are we doing here, Covenant Life Fellowship. Who are you, Covenant Life Fellowship? <laughs> Think about that. This is a place of covenant life. This drought we've been going through is not indicative of who we are. It's not indicative of what God, who God's called us to be. Covenant life. What's that mean? Covenant life. It means covenant with the Father, right? It means that we are joint heirs with Christ. Oh my goodness. We, we heard a lot about this in, in worship. We are sons and daughters of the King. We are called to rule and reign with Christ in heavenly places. We, we're, we're given a covenant where we have bold access into the throne room of grace. So, who are we? Covenant life. Are we operating by covenant life? Are we operating in, in the fullness of who God's called us to be? Um, not just in terms of the, the revelation of who he's called all of us to be in Christ, but also this very specific identity that he's bequeathing upon us as a church. And I believe God's calling us to remember who we are. Who are we? We are covenant life fellowship. We have covenant with God and we have covenant with one another. We fight for one another. We defend one another. We help each other grow and walk, we walk alongside each other along the way. We live life together. It's better together. And so there's, but it's, it's more than just a social club. It's we've covenanted together to hold each other accountable to say, we're going to make it. We're going to fulfill the calling of God on our lives. So once identity is reaffirmed and reestablished with Elijah, guess what God does? Gives him some instructions. The Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you have arrived, you shall anoint Haziel king over Aram, and Jehu the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. So I really believe that what God is calling Elijah to, to, to do is based out of who he's called him to be, Right? He's called to be the one who reveals that Yahweh is God. Do the work I've called you to do, Elijah. Change the course of nations. That's what he's asking and commanding him to do. And keep revealing that Yahweh is God and he's sovereign over the nations. And it shall come about, the one who escaped... Did I already read this? No. 
And it shall come about the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel, Jehu shall put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there. And what was the first thing that he did? I love this. He went and, go, he went and found Elisha. Oh, this, is just, this just blew me away. Because that's not the order that God told him. He told him, go to Haziel first, and then go to Jehu second. And then, you know, and, and so you would think that that was an order. But Elijah knew. He had wisdom. And what he, what he realized was, I'm not in this alone. I'm going to go find the next generation. And I'm going to impart, and I'm going to run alongside them, him for a while, so that he can even fulfill the very promise that God, and commandment that God called me to do. So I'm laying the foundation but another will actually fulfill the promises. And I believe that's exactly what God's doing in us um, as a church, even as we speak. Um, Elisha was the next generation. And the beautiful thing is that, you know, whereas Elijah meant Yahweh is God, right? Um, it's, it's a call to serve the one true God, to seek first the kingdom, to take up your cross daily, to only do the things you see the Father doing, to get your heart and identity right do that first, and then Elisha comes, right? And Elisha means the Lord is salvation. And once the heart, the lordship, the relationship foundation is laid, then the working out of that can come forth. The salvation, the transformation is really what I'm trying to get at here, can actually come forth in the next generation. I don't know about you, but I think that's really good. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. So what is our response to this? Um, I believe our response is threefold. So first of all, we're going to pray. And I really believe that that prayer comes in the form of yes to the assignment that God has for us. I I'm convinced, that I've always, I guess I'm a, somewhat of a teacher in, in many regards. I'm always trying to figure out, well, what's God's part and what's our part? Anyone else struggle with that? Because it kind of seems like God does everything, but then wait, there's something that we do. And, but, and so you kind of go back and forth. And I'm convinced that he asked us to do two things. Number one, just say yes. Say yes. Give it your all. He knows better anyway. That's the beautiful thing. He will never call you to do something that you're not designed to do, and he'll never call you to do something that he won't provide for. So say yes. Even if you don't see it, just say yes. He knows better. Say yes to the assignment. He's the initiator. We're the responder. And then the second thing, <laughs> this is the hard part, saying yes is exciting. Let's go getting started on the journey. Don't. The second thing is don't quit. Just persevere. Just keep on keeping on. Don't get yourself out of the race. Let's pray. Lord, you know. how hard it's been for many of us, Lord, who have said yes to the assignment. And sometimes we just feel like quitting and giving up. And so, Lord, we just confess that. Even as that song said, Lord God, you make up the difference. Lord, we, we believe, help our unbelief. And so, Lord, we say yes 
what you have for us. You know better, Lord God. You've given us everything. You've given us the strength. You'll even give us the joy because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Lord, you'll give us everything that we need to be who you've called us to be so that we can do what you've called us to do. And so we say yes to that assignment, Lord. And we even declare this day by the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, by the presence of God, we will not quit. We will persevere. And even if we're not the ones to see the fruit of all the labor, Lord God, we trust that generations in the future will, will reap the benefits of even the yes that we said in our generation. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for not only putting that yes in us, you're putting the not quit in us. Because he who began a good work in us will complete it. And it is not by might. And it is not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And so we just declare that. We receive that, um, that calling. And we even um, declare that. And that's the second thing that we can do. Is we can prophesy. We can remember who we are. And we can declare God's truth. And, and so I want you to do this personally. I want you to do this at home. I want you to do this. We're going to do this now, Lord. Uh, even as we're just going to prophesy even now. And if anyone else feels led to come up and, and, and uh, say a few words, please do. But right now, we remember who we are, Lord God. We thank you that you have spoken covenant life over us. You've called us to such a, a high calling. You have given us so much in Christ. Oh, Lord, you have given us so much. That's why you're worthy of everything, because you've given everything. And so we thank you, Lord, that you've called us to be sons and daughters. You've called us to be joint heirs, that we are called to rule and reign alongside of you, Lord God. And we're called to, to come together and help each other along the way to, to reach um, the, the full potential of who you've called us to be, that we can help one another, um, that, that healthy interdependency. Lord, I thank you that you've called us to be covenant life. And we just declare that over this body right now in Jesus' name. We embrace that identity, Lord, and we embrace even um, the, 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 uh, the fullness of what that identity is and what that means, even as the generations run together, Lord God. We welcome the next generation. We welcome Pastor Johnny and, and Pastor Rachel and, and all of the uh, younger leaders that you're raising up, Lord God. We embrace them. We thank you for them, Lord God. We're incomplete without them. And we know, Lord God, that you have placed in them um, even more of, of, uh, of an understanding and a revelation of who we are, even more of an understanding and revelation of what the vision of this church should be, Lord God. And so we receive it uh, in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for digging, uh, for, for not taking the drought away so that we would dig even deeper into this space of identity. We thank you for, for being so gracious to us, Lord God. Once we get this resolved, there's nothing that's going to stop us. And I just declare that in Jesus' name. No weapon formed against us will prosper in the name of Jesus. And we will go forth in the name of the Lord, by the power of the Lord, and by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. And then last, these are three Ps in case you didn't catch that. Pray. We wanted to pray. We wanted to prophesy. And the other thing is we wanted to do some provision ourselves. So we talked about that there's a lack of provision. So we want to sow a seed into, um, I want you to sow a seed into your future and into our collective future. And the way we're going to do that, and Helen, if you could bring a couple baskets up. Um, 
saw the financial condition of the church. And one of the things that we love to do um, every year as a board is we love to give bonuses out to the pastors. And we were not able to do that this year because, you know, funds were tight. And in particular, what we really want to do is we want to bless Pastor Johnny and Pastor Rachel. <laughs> and <laughs> didn't know this was coming, did you? And, but I really believe it's a prophetic act. It's not only a practical thing that we can do, but it's a prophetic act to actually speak to what God, uh, who God has called us to be and what God's called us to do. And so one of the beautiful things, and they would never say this, they'd never uh, tout, toot their own horn, but with Cindy stepping down, I mean, Pastor Rachel has stepped up so much in the administration of the church. Uh, Pastor Johnny has stepped up with the pastors on, uh, on sabbatical. Um, obviously, he's carrying a lot more of the load and coming um, this year, um, as the Lord leads, he's going to be taking on even more of that mantle. And so we actually not only have an opportunity to bless them and thank them for how they've already stepped up, but to actually speak into and even sow into this, this idea of this multi-generational church. And, um, and so we're going to give you that opportunity. And if you're not prepared, then you can maybe just fill out a little envelope and say, I'll get, you, know, I'll get you, you know, some money later this week or next week. So I don't want you to miss out on this opportunity just because you might not have known that this was coming. So, um, so the baskets are up here. Yeah. something about sewing into I'm going to have like feedback um, sewing into vision because I'm always always excited when I'm being challenged to give into the vision of God because God's blessing is always greater than sacrifice and so uh, he's asking you to sew into the vision I'm asking you to sow in faith. And when you sow in faith, just like, like John was talking about, they brought their best animal um, mm, to God. And God is moved by our faith. And if we want to see God's glory, God's blessing, God's anointing given a free place to be released here, He's asking, what's the level of your faith? And, and it's okay to be wherever you are. I am not, I am really not trying to manipulate you into giving. What I'm trying to do is build your faith up because God is not mocked and what we sow into is what we reap from. And if you want to start seeing Pastor Johnny and Pastor Rachel really like move into the um, flow of God. So into it. We're going to reap the benefits of it. And, and it's, that's a, like you were talking about, what's God's part, what's our part. Our part is to say, I want to step out of the boat and I want to, to know that there's going to be something solid there for me to step on. And your finances, your money is your life. So we've been learning all about in the scriptures how like the, the um, difference that God is drawing for people in what's life-giving and what's death. And so by choosing to give, give it in faith. And I don't, I don't, honestly, I don't care what amount you give, 
but give it in faith. Give it with the sense of, I am taking this offering and I'm sowing it into the vision that he's been talking about, that I have invested my life here. I've invested my life into the vision of God. I'm investing because I believe God and I believe what God has said and that I believe even that when Pastor Craig came here and God said to him, if you're willing to lay down your life, I will raise up a great something, <laughs> work, <laughs> a great work um, in and through you. He can't do that alone. We're all part of that. And as we sow into that vision, we're, we're grasping a hold of that and saying yes. It's another way of saying yes to God. Amen. Amen. So let's stand. Thank you, Kim. It's always, uh, it's awesome to, um, to be encouraged and, and to be reminded that it's, you know, God doesn't respond to need. He responds to faith. And uh, so we're not giving out of need here. We're, we're responding out of, out of a faith um, in trusting God, um, not only to be a blessing, not only to sow into the future, but to, that it's going to come back to us. So Lord, right now we thank you for this opportunity to sow into the, our future, our collective future, Lord God. I just thank you for this opportunity, Lord. I pray that you would bless both the gift and the giver, I pray that you would help us to bless the socks off of Pastor Johnny and Pastor Rachel, Lord God. We thank you for them. Uh, we bless them. Um, and we pray that we can make that, that tangible uh, blessing um, very real to them even now. Whether it's now or uh, a week or payday, a couple weeks away, whatever the case may be, Lord God, just thank you for the opportunity to, to sow into their lives and to sow into our, as a result, the, the blessing that's going to come back to us, even through them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come and give.